The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Elon Musk is trying to pull out of the Twitter deal. And what the hell does that mean? Um, We're going to do something we've never done here before on the Big Technology Podcast. We're going to break it down Royal Rumble style with three former Twitter employees, people who made decisions at the company, ranked fairly high. And so you're going to hear from them exactly what's going on inside the company. And then two reporters. So we've got Leslie Miley, Alex Sherman, Brandon Borman, and Jenna Goldman, and myself, Alex Kantrowitz. Let's rock and roll. All right. First of all, we're going to do quick. Everybody's got a tweet link can sort of describe exactly what they did at Twitter or what they do reporting. And then we're going to get into exactly what the implications are for the company now that Elon doesn't want to do this deal. Jenna, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Jenna Golden. Um, I worked at Twitter from February 2012 to July of 2017, and I ran the political advertising sales team based in Washington, D.C. Nice. Brandon? Yeah, I'm Brandon Borman. I ran global communications for Twitter from 2017 to 2020. 2021, actually. Sorry. Leslie? Uh, I was an engineering manager at Twitter from 2012 to 2015. Uh, started the first safety and security team, product and engineering team. Yeah. Alex? Uh, I cover media and technology for CNBC. I've been here for about four years. Before that, I was at Bloomberg, and I covered largely the uh, tech, media, telecom, M&A space. Okay, amazing. So we have a, such a great crew here. We have uh, Engcom's politics represented on the Twitter side. Two reporters here doing our best to understand exactly what the implications are legally, financially, and all the above. Um, why don't we start with this? You know, I've been thinking about this. The you know, so Elon, of course, decided that he didn't want to go through with this deal that he signed, um, and I've been thinking about the implications in terms of where we go from here. Twitter is obviously going to try to sue and get that money, the fifty-four twenty that he promised. The stock right now is in the low 30s, so it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big gap there. Tens of billion dollars at stake. Uh, Alex, why don't we kick to you to begin with? Um, I thought the board is kind of on an island um, here, where you have Elon doesn't want the deal to happen, and you have um, you know Twitter employees don't want the deal to happen, but the board wants it to happen, and so do shareholders. Can you talk a little bit about like the? Um, the competing interests there and sort of what that will uh, mean in terms of where we go from here. Yeah. um, I suppose this is a story of American capitalism as much as anything else. Um, Boards of public companies have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to maximize the value of their company. In this particular case, the board decided when it agreed to a deal with Elon Musk that his offer of $54.20 a share, which values Twitter at $44 billion, was the uh, 
was the maximizing valuation offer that Twitter could get. In other words, no one else was going to top that bid. And also, if Twitter remained a public company and sort of bobbed along in the markets, the board didn't see a clear path to gaining that valuation anytime soon. That was sort of the rationale. So that rationale is only even greater now that the uh, valuation of a lot of peer tech and media stocks has fallen in the past couple months. It looks it makes that deal look even better uh, relative to when it was signed a couple months ago. So if anything, the Twitter board would be more dogmatic about ensuring that Elon Musk, in fact, pays the price he agreed to pay to. The implications of that, of course, are, well, if Elon Musk takes control of the company, uh, you know, what is he going to do with it, et cetera, et cetera. Those questions are really not part of this determination from the board. Once they sell the company, whatever he decides to do with Twitter after that point, that's no longer the board's concern. I'd actually like to hear from the Twitter side. What is this going to do to the company internally? What's your understanding of like what's happening right now inside Twitter? And does you know is there a case to be made that hey, listen, like actually that, that you know that fifty four twenty because let, let's say they they go ahead and say all right, Elon, um, we're not going to do the deal. Can they now make a case like if they're sued by shareholders that they can get, get to that fifty four twenty you know number and actually shouldn't shouldn't be sued for the damages? No, I I, I think. Um... I think that's their challenge right now, right? Is you, I think you have to look at this in the context of the analyst day that was done in 2021, where they kind of laid out a vision for the company, which was the first time they'd done that in several years. And um, I think now there's really a need for them to do something else like that, that clearly articulates what's the long-term plan for the product, for the revenue side of the business, um, especially now that you have new leadership on the product side. Um, a big part of this, obviously, was Elon saying we they should move away from doing advertising and have other revenue streams. And I think the board and, and a lot of investors think that's a long-term plan as well. So they should provide some more clarity into what that looks like going forward, regardless of whether or not this deal happens. I think they need to be in, in the public markets operating as if it may not occur, in which case they need to actually explain to people what the sort of go-forward plan is for the business. Is there a way that Twitter can say, we don't want this deal, Jenna, Leslie. I mean, where 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 does this end? Because it seems like this might end up going towards a settlement. Elon can spend three years, uh, you know, pushing this away. So, so is there a path for the board to say, okay, let's settle, or is it just like, all right, well, um, you know, let's let's see this run its course and put the company in in turmoil until we get a ruling. Well, I mean, you asked the question of what could this do to the company? And I think the question is, what has this already done to the company? So the past few months, as this has been going on, there has been an incredible amount of turmoil for the employees, for the shareholders, for the customers. There's been a lot that has been in flux. And as a result of that, it's damaging. While I'm no longer within the company, I know that there have been many people in the last few months that have left, not just specifically because of the potential for Elon Musk to take over the company, but because working at Twitter is always tumultuous. Mm -hmm. Internally, it might be a really lovely place, but there are very few companies that are talked about in the press as often as Twitter. 
And to add additional layers to that these past few months has been a massive distraction. And I can't imagine that the teams feel like they can operate in a successful manner when they have no idea what's coming down the pike and leadership is telling them they can't really share a whole lot of information. So I think when you ask the question of, is there a chance the board might say, forget it, let's just settle. I think there's a lot of feeling right now that the board wants to stick it to Elon Musk and make him pay the money that he put in the deal that he would pay should he choose to back out because this has been so problematic and so disruptive for the company. Alex, if I can just jump in on one thing Jenna said there, because it it, it isolates the tension on what we're dealing with here. Um, As distracting as all of this is for Twitter employees, the the one area where it's theoretically beneficial is to investors in Twitter. If you look at peer companies, what has happened to them over the past couple months, Twitter held up better until very recently because of this offer that was out there. So it, it sort of Twitter was being supported by this 54.20 share price where take a look at Snap, for instance. I mean, the bottom fell out on Snap. It's down 50% since even the deal, uh, uh, clo- even the, the Twitter deal, I should say, was announced several months ago. So recently, Twitter has kind of come back to the pack with the other tech media comparison stocks as investors have started to feel like this deal may not happen. But up until that point, Musk's bid was actually supporting the Twitter price despite all of the internal nonsense and distraction that was going on. Right. And now we're starting to see the the fallout from that. Leslie, knowing not from you. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just what yeah, I saw. So, so much. I just came in and everybody has said this and I, I'm absorbing it all. Uh-huh. The stock price, and I think the bottom is going to fall out the stock price uh, as, right. as if this drags out. And so you could look at you know Twitter stock price hitting the teens, um, which it has been at before. And there's really no reason for it not to be there. And that's going to have this huge impact, you know, not only external to the company, but internal because people, you know, the many people who've joined in the last year or two when the stock price has been, uh, you know, two to three times that. I think and that's going to hit morale and you're going to get people who can leave, will leave. And that's going to hit product development. That's going to hit, you know, every sales. It's going to hit every aspect of the company. Which is uh, when we were speaking, I think on Friday, when I said it's in everyone's best interest to close this as quickly as possible and to move on. Uh, you know, I mean, Elon Musk, because of uh, Tesla and and uh, and SpaceX and the distraction that this is causing, and and Twitter, because they will essentially not be able to execute any significant product change or direction, you know, for the foreseeable future, and. And in this market, they need to have a story, and their story can't be we're waiting for Elon. Their story needs to be we're moving forward with with the product. So, so I I just I think that that the sooner the better. And if and if the board does want to stick it to Elon and try to get him to do it, that may actually not be in the best interest of of, of the company uh, and the best interest of the shareholders. Uh, I mean, I can I can totally get how you know some people may think that. There's also just this undercurrent of Jack Dorsey, and I'd like yes. to know what – there's a big WTAF because this just yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's like – I mean, Dorsey, Dorsey 
put and you know people who work with Dorsey more recently than I do, maybe they know him better than I do. I was just like, I don't get this at all. Right, because he did, um, you know, lead the con- company for years and have a lot of people bought into his mission, and then appoint Parag. Dorsey did, and then kind of whisper in Elon Musk's ears, ears as long as uh, we can tell from the SEC filings that he should go in and take the company private. And now Elon's really, you know, created some havoc here. So anybody have an idea of what what you know Jack is up to here? I mean, I, I don't think anybody can talk on Jack's behalf, right? He's- is Jack, but I, I yeah. think like if you look at, and he, I think he, I worked with him most recently. Everyone on this panel, right? And I think he was very open in the last year he was there about what his ultimate vision for Twitter was, which was to ultimately make it the core technology and open protocol for anyone on the internet. And doing that is a very difficult thing to do when you're a public company because it, it necessitates massive changes and. and Public markets and investors aren't well known for giving companies long runways to make significant changes. So I think Elon coming in and taking it private was for a lot of people. Look, I did a thread on this when I was trying not to be completely negative about Elon taking <laughs> over. I think it was a lot of people viewed it as, yeah, take it private, do the things that need to be done to shift Twitter into what it should be, which is not a advertising driven social media platform. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I think Elon said all the right things about that when it started and then quickly started chipping away at that and backing away from that vision. I think as he started to understand that actually this was a lot of money and at some point he would want to bring it public again, um, which would probably be a shorter timeline than would be necessary to make the technological changes. So I, I don't know what Jack thinks about this, but I think fundamentally the idea that Twitter should be a private company to do the things it needs to do is something that Jack and a lot of people have, have agreed with for a long time. Yeah. And the board, um, you know, might want to stick it. It's clearly trying to stick it to Elon. Leslie thinks they shouldn't be sticking it to Elon. Just settle the deal quickly and be done with it. Your thoughts, Brendan? I, I think the most, there's the two most likely outcomes here are either Elon offers them more than a billion dollars to right. let him walk away. Uh-huh. Or the board and Elon reach a price that they compromise on. I think that the lawyers are largely gonna, are largely negotiators right now, rather than getting the court to actually force them to buy it. I, I do agree with Leslie. The, the sooner that happens right now, the better, because they're in this kind of weird never world right now, which isn't good for anybody. And your view is basically, you know, don't push it as far as you can. Try to get that fifty-four twenty per share because that would just be a disaster. I I, I think they have to. Uh, he's obviously not going to pay that, right? right. And if you force well, him to can. pay it, I think that's disastrous. He but can they can forced. certainly get the court to force yeah. him to, but I don't know how you have a CEO of a company <laughs> who doesn't want the company. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they have to come to some sort of terms that everybody can agree to. Okay. I want to go to Jenna and then to Alex. Jenna, and then we'll get to you, Leslie. This is great. We'll do round robin. Jenna, your thoughts, do, do um, is there a world where they should force you, you can take it all the way, force Elon to pay that 5420, or do you think it's worth you know, getting out quickly. And then what does, what does Twitter look like if Elon is the sort of um, begrudging CEO of the company who was just forced to pay a large percentage of his net worth to run the thing? I think I agree with the group here that doing this fast and, and um, as quickly as possible is the most beneficial all around. I think the challenge becomes if the company decides to really put all of its efforts and resources towards legal action 
it really comes at the expense of the employees. And we've all heard and seen rumblings of things tightening up internally at Twitter, people leaving, potentially even layoffs. There's a lot going on. And if all of this money is focused on legal action, it really pulls away from the company continuing to move forward and create products and be more successful. So I think as swiftly as possible, if they can move this along, the better. You know, you asked the question about what a Twitter looks like with a begrudging CEO. And frankly, I don't know what it would look like with him as the CEO, whether begrudgingly or not. Um, but I think from my perspective, as somebody who comes from the revenue side and specifically came from a really sticky part of the revenue side, which was political advertising, which no longer exists at Twitter and hasn't since late 2019, I think it brings up a lot of questions. He potentially could have done some really positive things on the revenue side and some really challenging things on the revenue side. One of the things Elon said from the beginning was that, you know, he doesn't believe that advertising is is a valuable revenue stream. Maybe he would have gotten rid of it altogether. Who knows? But on the flip side of that, there's a really big chance he would have opened the doors and allowed certain ad verticals to come back like politics. Um, and that would have been a really fascinating thing to see. While a lot of people have strong feelings about that and might not want to see it, when Twitter made the decision to get rid of advertising on the political front altogether, it did actually really hurt a lot of uh, small advocacy groups, unknown political candidates, you know, movements that really wanted to make noise and attract people to fundraise and engage with their content. And so there's a lot to be said that's just a sort of narrow view of it from my background, but there's a lot to be said for if he came back, uh, what things he might have changed, not just on the revenue side, but also on the product side. Right. Alex, I, I want to let me frame this to you. I'm getting roasted right now, and I think fairly so, for suggesting that the board is the only one uh, that wants this to close. Obviously, Elon doesn't want this to happen. The employees don't want this to happen. The board really wants this to happen. Now, the shareholders, of course. They want this thing to happen. There are lots of people that own Twitter at 30 something a share that are counting on this deal to close at 5420. So we've all talked about how it's probably better for Twitter or the company to settle this close quickly. And we've all talked about how it's better for Elon uh, to settle this quickly. Uh, I'm curious what you think, how, what, bring in the shareholder voice and then talk about what happens in terms of the legal process if this deal does not end at 5420 because someone's getting sued. Look, the board, the board's view and the shareholders view, I think are the same, which is as great as anyone may want this to go away as quickly as possible. And by the way, Twitter co-founder Ev Williams tweeted the exact same sentiment that if you were on the board, he would be asking, how do we make this go away as quickly as possible? I frankly don't see a way the board can make this go away quickly unless the settlement is huge. The settlement is very big, many billions on top of the one billion. Then I think the board can say, we have, this was the best financial outcome for the company and for shareholders, and we've done our fiduciary duty. Uh, I do not think they can simply say, we'll take a billion and let you walk. I don't think they can knock the price down by $15 a share and say, you know, we got a new deal because I think they have such a strong legal case that if they were to take this all the way to the finish, they probably would win. 
I think, um, based on what I know now, at least. Of course, who knows? I mean, maybe there's some hidden emails out there that say, uh, you know, don't tell anybody, but 70% of our accounts are spam. Um, but assuming that, <laughs> assuming that doesn't exist, I think uh, there's, a, there's an argument there that uh, the best maximizing shareholder value case is to sue and to force Elon to buy it for $44 billion. Now, there, there, I do feel like there's enough mitigating stuff around here that there, at least you can say, look, we have some uncertainty on six different fronts, so settling is the best idea. But, but I do think the settlement would have to be one where the shareholders would say, okay, fine. You know, it was, it was a billion plus, I don't, X amount of billions more. I don't know what that number is. All right, Leslie, back to your knowing nod. Yeah, I, I think that all, all of this comes down to how much, how much Twitter is not going to be worth if this drags out. This is, I mean, someone has to have that as a discussion. It's like, if this goes on six months, people leave, uh, you know, people become unmotivated, you know, Twitter just continues, you know, and it's infrastructure that needs to be updated and maintained. And, you know, what, what does that do to the actual value? So Twitter's actually losing value every day this goes on. You know, Twitter's not gaining value because of this. Twitter's going to be losing value. Uh, it's going to be losing uh, intellectual capital, right? And the people who work there. Uh, you know, the morale is already probably, I, I'm not even sure if there is any, is any, any morale left at this point in time. Though, though I do say this, most people at Twitter are probably used to the drama. I mean, if you've been there for a while, Twitter's been drama from day one. So they're probably used to it, but it still, it wears on you. And after a couple of years of a pandemic and now this, and, you know, some of their friends being laid off, like the recruiting team, I, I just like the, the sooner the better. And, and that I think is, is keeping shareholder value right now. Um, and, and I am not on the board. I don't see all that, but I'm like, if I'm thinking it as, as, as an operator in an organization and you know, I've run organizations of several hundred people, you can't let things like this exist out there for this long because it does degrade people's ability to do their jobs. And it's hard to, to change that if it has gone on for some time. And this has gone on for some time. So I think it, I personally think it's, dangerous time for Twitter. It sets up this really fascinating tension inside the company because you could have everybody who's been, you know, influential in um, making Twitter what it is, yelling at the board, get this done for the sake of everything we've built. And the board saying, look, like Alex was saying, we got to close this deal. We are here for the shareholders. It's a totally crazy situation. And by the way, to, to Leslie's point about what is the value of Twitter without this deal, that number should exist within the Goldman Sachs, the, the Twitter is an own investment bank. They did their own modeling when they agreed to do the deal with Elon Musk. That would have been the reasoning that they said yes, because you have to remember, Elon Musk had a track record with backing out of a deal or just sort of whimsically doing M&A when he tweeted he would take Tesla private for $420 a share. And then that never happened. And he was sued by the SEC. He had to step down as chairman at Tesla. I mean, the idea, also, he had a lawsuit over the, his own Solar City uh, acquisition. So this idea that, like, Elon was, uh, is a mercurial individual and dealmaker was out there when uh, Twitter agreed to sell the company. So... They don't have that to fall back on. 
what they do have to fall back on, though, is that our hands were tied and we had to accept an offer of 54.20 a share because our own internal analysis indicated that Twitter wouldn't trade anywhere near there if we didn't take this offer. And the board doesn't want to get sued. And that's going to be the reason why I don't think this is going to end quickly. Yeah, I mean, I would just add also, I think the real question a lot of us are still sort of scratching our heads about is, is this really about bots? And and if it was really about bots, then, you know, why wasn't that in the due diligence? And why did he sign the contract when he did? I mean, it's just, it really starts to to beg the question of, was this just an ego play? Was this a play to you know, grab as much power as possible to make a lot of noise? Did he ever really want to own Twitter? And I know none of us have a window into Elon Musk's brain, but it feels like this is about something much larger than just is 5% of Twitter's user base bots or not. Yeah. I want to take a quick break and then we'll get, we'll get to the bot question. We'll also talk philosophically a little bit about, um, you know, what Twitter will be after this. Um, So I think we should, um, We should consider those broader questions uh, when we come back after the break. We'll be back here on Big Technology Podcast with an amazing group of guests, Leslie Miley, Alex Sherman, Brandon Borman, and Jenna Golden. Back right after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast uh, for a very special edition. And Elon is breaking Twitter again edition uh, with three Twitter vets, Leslie Miley, Brandon Borman, Jenna Golden, and two reporters, myself and Alex Sherman of CNBC. Brandon, what is what does Twitter look like uh, after this? What's your what's your best guess? I mean, and and you know, it does it does seem, and Leslie's brought this up in the past, but like Twitter seems to always be operating in chaos, and maybe it succeeds despite that. So, um, you know, maybe it doesn't change very much the product and the company and all that stuff. But 
I'm curious if you think it continues to serve the same place in society as it has. Yeah, look, I, I do think I think there's a momentum to Twitter that that is going to keep it going. Right? I just think it, it is the people who use it regularly and consistently are too influential and play too big of a role in sort of forming broader opinions. I think TikTok's taking some of that when it comes to pop culture. But I think still when it comes to politics and news and even sports, Twitter's still where the most dominant voices are. And I don't think that's going to change. Um, I think all the people who are saying, I'm going to leave Twitter, if Elon takes it, and you know, very few of them actually ended up leaving. Um, <clears throat> I think in the short term, it, it's actually probably good for all of us that it doesn't look like Elon will have control of this prior to midterm elections. Because I think some of the things he was talking about were actually quite dangerous going into that situation. Um, over the long term, whether or not he's there, I do think, you know, one of the tragedies of this is that it does feel like in the last couple of years, the company has actually finally figured out what it is and what it needs to be doing and what it needed to focus on and was making some progress there, um, both in terms of the policies, how it enacted those policies, even how it sold itself to advertisers. I think they finally had figured out what all of that was meant to be. Um, so I would hope that continues regardless of whether or not it's independent or, or Musk owns it. But um, I don't think it goes away. I just think the momentum behind it is too significant. Yeah. Can Parag Agarwal possibly stay in the position after this? I Look, if Elon takes over, obviously he is gone. He's out. Yeah. If he doesn't, I think Parag has a bit of a hill to climb right now to convince the employees that he's the right leader for them. I, I think yeah. people really like him internally. I think he's a visionary and, and he can be very engaging, but I do think there's a sense that not just him, but I think a lot of the management team is not kind of stepped into the void right now. And it's understandable. Right. Like they're playing a very traditional M&A playbook, which is once the deal's announced, you just go quiet till everything's signed. I think <laughs> unfortunately, they're up against Elon who has no rule books that apply to him. Um, and so my hope now would be that as they go into this next phase, they start to operate differently and understand the role they've got to play in inspiring their employees to stay engaged. I would hope so too, because there's a Wired article out this week uh, where they, I think the headline, is, no, I know the headline is, as Elon Musk walks, Twitter workers says, Twitter workers say no one's in charge. And some of the quotes in here, I mean, someone wrote, uh, Twitter is a shit show internally. I can confirm that for you right now without a doubt. Someone else said, uh, there is no strong leadership at the moment. Um, someone said, I expect it's going to be a mess. I'd like to see someone hold Elon's feet to the fire because I think it sets a risky precedent to allow him to meddle so much, drive the stock down, then pull out. Leslie, I, when I was bringing up this question about what the future is for Twitter leadership, uh, asking if Parag should stay, I saw a big uh, shake of your head, the negatory direction. So you want to share your thoughts on that? I, I think I think this is a, an opportunity for leaders to lead. It is totally an opportunity for leaders to lead. Uh, whether he can do that, I don't know him personally, so I don't know. Um, and you're right, you know, he's at a point where he has to be quiet now because they're in this this really weird state. Um, you know, what people are saying, exter- you know, to, you know, inside, externally, what people inside the company are saying externally, you know, is a small slice. Um, you know, I'm not on their blind chat, so I don't know what they're saying there. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that, that some people who may be on it are just like, ooh, this is really bad. Um, you know, but once again, it's just a small slice. This is an opportunity for him to leave. And he hasn't been in the role long enough to be faced with something like this. And so the odds don't look good because 
no one and nothing prepares you for this. Um, so, so I just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hill he has to climb. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I have to just say it's, and it's a big hill he's going to have to climb and he yeah. may have to climb that hill alone because right. he may not have a lot of his senior staff with him. So, um, I, my, my, if I had to talk to him, I'd be like, get some good advice from people who've gone through this and good luck, you know, start in the gym, you know, get some cardio on, you know, <laughs> eat right, get a lot of sleep. You know, this yeah. is, this is going to be, it's going to be a slog. It will be a slog. And I think what Brandon was saying was spot on. The company did seem to like be hitting its stride up. His revenue was up 13, uh, 37% in 2021 compared to 2020 and 2020 was a good year. And we'll get to you, Alex. And, oh, go I, ahead, I just Alex. Wanted, yeah. Just because it's because you brought that up, Alex, Brandon, if you don't mind, can you explain a little bit more exactly about what you meant about Twitter, figuring out what it is? Like, at least for the outsider like me, what is that that they didn't figure out before <laughs> yeah i mean look if you look at most of twitter's history i think it pinged between like are we are we facebook are we instagram what are we trying and i think they finally understood they, they are a conversation platform people weren't going there to meet their best friends they were going there to be informed they were going there to do deep dives on subjects i think one of the most transformational things they did with the product is if you sign up you know, it used to be if I was interested in movies, I had to figure out who are the individuals to follow to get that. Allowing you now to follow topics really made Twitter suddenly an actually user-friendly product. Um, and so it allowed people to draw, dive deeper into these subjects that they love. Um, and I think, you know, things like Spaces, I, I don't have any insight into how successful that's been, but I do think you've seen it used, even in this case, right? You used really smartly where reporters open up conversations and have a thousand people join in just to listen to experts talking about these things. I think they understood that they were sort of a platform for expertise and conversations around specific topics that you couldn't easily replicate on other services. Um, and and I, that's where they really seemed to be investing in building out the product. And I think they, they, you started to see positive outcomes from that. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think Twitter's known who it was for a long time. I think back to like 2013 and 2014 when we would talk about it's the global town square or we would talk to people about the idea that Facebook's a social graph, but Twitter's an interest graph. It's where you go to learn about your interests and not just interact with people you know. I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was more Twitter just never knew what to do with it. We knew what the value was in terms of having these incredibly high-powered users. I mean, we all know Twitter always has punched above its weight class in all categories. When you look at size of employee base, when you look at size of user base, um, and then you look at revenue, you know, Twitter is the one that everyone's talking about on every second of the news, yet, you know, on paper, it's minuscule compared to these other platforms. So I think the question was more, maybe we understood who we were as a company, but how did we funnel that in a way to be financially successful? And that's a question that I think everybody is still grappling with. Um, and I know, you know, the product side, I've read a bunch recently, they've doubled down on trying to improve performance ads and direct response advertising. That's the fifth or sixth time we did that in, in, since I left Twitter. And I'm not sure anybody is going to be able to figure that out. I hope that they can. I wish nothing but the best for that team. But ultimately, 
that has just been a consistent area where Twitter has never been able to succeed. And that's just one piece of the revenue stream that we've not been able to figure out how to monetize. I, I think all I think all of that's right. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think it was it was less figuring out who they were and more how to double down on it. I, yeah. I do think the advertising revenue side of it is just fundamentally it's not the right business model for what Twitter is. Um, and a lot of that revenue improvement has come because they had a pretty low base to work from. That's mm. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Can anyone explain what co- what co tweets are? Because <laughs> that's what's come out of the product organization since Kayvon left. And I don't fully understand if that's the, that's the vision of the company moving forward. I, I, I can't explain it. I can't. I think it gives you the opportunity to tweet with somebody else, but that's yeah. not all I can tell you. Well, why out of everything? Shipping that. Anyway, I'll leave the co-tweets alone. Jenna, can, can Twitter still uh, sell ads? I mean, in this moment, if you're going to an advertiser and you're like, hey, play some ads on Twitter, what's the advertiser going to want to talk about? Are you going to be owned by Elon? What's going on? What does that do for the ad team? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I will say Twitter had and still has a stellar sales team. And that team that was me and my team and others that are still there, I give so much credit because so many people think it's an easy sales job because it's mm-hmm. Twitter and it's a big name. And the truth is you walk into a meeting and sure, can you get the meeting? Absolutely. But the revenue pool is still 80 to 90% going to Facebook with you know, the rest of that percentage going to YouTube and maybe not even half of a percent going to Twitter. And I think it's a mix of things. It's a scale issue. Um, even for performance advertising, there's a limit to how far you can go. And then, of course, when it comes to what we just talked about as it relates to performance and direct response, it's just not an area that Twitter excels in. So the answer is the, the sales team can sell when it comes to very specific opportunities. If you've got a new movie coming out, you should buy a trend because it reaches everybody in the United States and it's an opportunity to really get out there from a brand perspective. You know, there are these certain examples where you can see the team can be successful. But ultimately, the questions are nonstop from ad agencies and advertisers about what's going on at the company, who's going to run the company, what does the company stand for, what are my ads going to be near, how are people going to perceive that. And it's just much more tumultuous than it is within other platforms where there is just consistent scale, consistent performance, um, and essentially everyone else is there too. So it feels like a safe space to be in, whereas there are less advertisers that are playing in the Twitter sandbox. Right. So this is going to hurt more, you know, even more than than typical, this this wild run of unpredictability. Though I do think there is some relief right now that there's at least a period here where Elon won't be in charge. Twitter had made a lot of headway on the revenue side because they had made significant improvements in safety and quality of content. And those were the things advertisers were really worried about. And I think the sales team and the safety team had done a tremendous job explaining to advertisers all the work they'd done that was really very industry leading. Um, I think there was a lot of concern that, well, wait, if Elon's going to make this a free-for-all and take the brakes off of everything, are we going to want to be anywhere near the content that's going to be appearing on this platform now? And so I think you know some of this uncertainty may actually help them a little bit. 
because they've they've set the rules of the road and they can go into advertisers and say, look, no, everything we've been doing in the last several years, we're going to keep doing. Does anyone here think that, let's say, Elon is forced to make this deal at 5420 that he can actually get a return on his investment? Like, Alex, is there the best case scenario here where Elon actually does change the business and makes his money back? Or um, what do you think happens to the business after the deal closes, If you're in your opinion? Because you do think it will close. Take us to that, you know, the first day one after Elon steps in as CEO of Twitter. Sure. First of all, I have no idea if it will close or not. I'm just saying that I think the board is uh, has its hands tied, that they, they sort of need to push for close. Um, otherwise, I think they'll lose their jobs because and I'll, get, and I'll get to your answer here, which is that I do see I don't really see any feasible way that Twitter can trade at 5420 a share anytime soon, given where the market is now. That said, I mean. It's impossible, I think, to, to, to guess whether or not or for how long it would take for Musk to make a return because so much of any company's fate rests with the broader market. So if there's a general macroeconomic turnaround, uh, then there will be a general reset in valuations across the board, particularly if as a private company, Musk were to say, look, we're doing subscription now, and here's a growing business, and we're going to start from scratch. I mean, the parallel there would be what the legacy media companies uh, did by moving to streaming. And they basically invented a new category. They said, we're going to start subscription streaming. Uh, we're going to start from zero. But, you know, we want to be valued like Netflix. And for a while there was an uptick in value and you saw Disney get a real bounce from having a growth thing they could point at in Disney plus. Um, and of course now that's gone away in the past few months as Netflix, the valuation has come out of Netflix just as it's come out of so many other media and technology stocks. So if he hits it right, you know, I could see Musk being able to make a return by taking it private. And he'd have to wait for the window and he'd have to have a really compelling narrative and you'd have to make real changes sure it, it, i think it is possible um but i will say kind of getting back to jenna's question about like well what is really going on here again don't know elon personally have not spoken to him he hasn't told me uh what exactly is going on but what i do know is he started to bring in other investors in this deal. he opened it up and a bunch of different individuals signed on to be co-investors funds at that point is when I would imagine he started to hear from others as the market tank. Hey, you paid too much for this. Hey, we're not comfortable investing at this price. Hey, how do you get out of this? Hey, you may want to try to renegotiate for a lower price. So it is possible that all of this is just playbook for him to right. try to get Twitter to negotiate at a lower price so that his co-investors will be happy with the investment. And Alex, quickly on that, if the co-investors pull out, um, can Elon just throw his hands up in court and say, I didn't get the money? I don't think so. Uh, that's a better question for a lawyer. It depends on exactly how the contracts are written. Uh, but okay. I have asked that question to lawyers. And, and generally speaking, based on past precedent, if the contracts are written standardly, that is not an excuse. He's still on the hook for financing, huh. even if his co-investors say we want out. Jeez. Okay. I, I was, um, I was yeah, laughing. Go ahead, Leslie. Yeah, I was, I'm sorry. I'm just I was laughing yeah, yeah. because in late April I was like, he's overpaying. Right. But, you know, Stevie Wonder could see that he was overpaying for Twitter. Twitter <laughs> is not worth fifty four dollars a share. 
And yeah. <laughs> that's a terrible analogy, but it's true. Um, and I'll let it go. And, yeah. And 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 I think that you know, if you're going to try to extract value out of Twitter, I'd be like, come in, take it over, shore up everything, and then start splitting it apart. I think Twitter is worth more as as separate pieces than it is as its whole. Um, but that's still a long term play. And that, that is where I would take, if, if I were going to do anything and if, if he's forced to do it, like come in, shore up the business and then start breaking it apart. You have your public, you know, your advertising Twitter where, you know, people just do advertising and maybe have your public benefit corporation Twitter where, you know, you do that. And then, you know, you have your platform company. Twitter, which is, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you have your platform Twitter, which is your, you know, your open platform. Um, and then maybe two of those are public entities and the other one's not, I don't know. I'm not an expert at this. I'm just kind of throwing all that out there, but I, I just, I don't see how this is a $54 you know, dollar a share company anytime in the next year. Can we talk so, about the bots? Um, oh, Alex, go ahead. Then we talk about, we have to talk about the bots or we're going to get crushed. So go ahead. Two, two quick things yeah. to Leslie's thing. One is that, by the way, that's the Yahoo playbook, which sometimes people refer to Twitter as this sort of dying floating, you know, Yahoo-esque company. That is what Apollo is trying to do with Yahoo's make it, different divisions, some of it private, some of it public, split it up. The other thing that we would be remiss to mention here, which is to, to, to Leslie's point about, you could see he overpaid at the time. Part of this, certainly the cynical approach to this, is that in the process of buying Twitter, Elon Musk was able to unload billions of dollars of Tesla stock, and he was able to do that potentially without ringing alarm bells saying, hey, I think this is overvalued by doing it with this guise of, oh, I need the money to buy Twitter. So maybe that's also a part of it where he didn't care if he was overpaying. Because he right. knew he was cashing out on Twitter at a high value. And so yeah, the money he, would kind of equal out of his mind. Anyway. Hey, he shouldn't have signed that deal, though. If that was the case. He should have just said, I'm buying more Twitter. Just never done right, it. But, but, but maybe that would have run a lot. Like, he needed to sign it to ensure that he was, you know. But, <laughs> Elon, you got to give it to Elon. He's really committed to the bit. He's committed. Right. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the bots. And then we'll run to a close. Um, let's do it quickly. Elon's contention is Twitter's more than 5% bots. Um, but what he's bringing uh what what caused him to terminate the deal was that he said twitter wasn't forthcoming enough about how many bots it has does this argument hold water with with anyone here um did anybody here see like a whole host of bots inside twitter that um company never told anyone about i think it's important to clarify though it's twitter doesn't say it's five percent bots Okay. Five percent of monetizable active users, right? Right. So that's a subset. I have. I am one hundred percent certain when Elon looks at his own account, he sees more than five percent bots. The question is, how many of those is Twitter counting as active users and not pulling out of the MAU number? My own sense from being inside is that the five percent number is pretty solid based on the way they calculate it and the way they calculate MAUs. I think it is not straightforward and easy calculations to do uh, i think that's why twitter said look you want to you want it we're going to give you everything we're going to give you the entire fire hose of data go ahead and count everything that you want um i'm i'm confident that twitter has provided him a ton of information to come to his own conclusions i don't think the bot thing is a sufficient reason i think most of the lawyers have written about this so basically viewing it as a smoke screen yeah 
So we'll, we'll see what happens, but I don't think there's going to be a sudden revelation that Twitter is actually 75% of their MAUs are, are bots and they've been lying to advertisers in the SEC this entire time. Yeah. Jenna, since you were on the revenue side, um, how often was this an issue for advertisers and did you have to go to them and be like, uh, hey, listen, we gave you 10% bots on this one? Never. Never once really? did that happen in my entire time at Twitter. And you know, I don't have a ton of insight into the number of bots, but I will say, and I am very confident that Twitter has given him all of the information that they have. But I do think it is important to know that it's hard to identify. I mean, this was a conversation that happened when this was going on. And I think there was some rumblings from internally where people would state that it's very hard to identify a bot. And I think that it is important for the public to understand too. We would get questions all the time. Hey, can I snag this handle? No one's tweeted in years. It's inactive. That's not how Twitter defines an inactive handle. Their people can log in all the time and consume content and never tweet themselves. So there are all these factors that I think the public doesn't think about when they look at an account and assume that it's a bot or assume that it's not an active account, when in fact, there are a lot of things internally that that account might be doing, and it might very well be a human that might look differently. Yeah. Uh, I, I think wanna... the other thing people people oh, misunderstand and, yeah. and think are bots all the time is they'll see they'll see thousands of accounts repeating the same line. And I think, oh well, those are all bots. In many, many cases, it's actually just lots of people who are all connected to one another and sometimes they coordinate and sharing that information. And sometimes they just see one of their friends tweet it, so I'm gonna tweet it too. There's a lot of coordinated human behavior that happens on the account on the on the platform that at the surface level may look like bots, but as you dig into it, you find it actually, that's just a lot of human beings sitting behind these accounts. Isn't it amazing how people go ahead. No one talks about what is a bot, right? That's the problem, right? It's like, what is a bot? And, and I think the, you know, what you brought up, Brandon is, is, is accurate. Is that there are people doing things that are extremely bot like, and they're actually acting as a bot. They're just a real person. Um, I, I would say if there's anything that if this ever comes out, and I don't know if it will, Elon probably got, if he didn't get the fire hose, he got the DECA hose, but he probably got enough to see, because it's not just the bots or the 5%, it's all the other, for lack of a better word, fuckery that happens on Twitter. <laughs> and And it's the tens of millions of accounts that are created each month that are bad actor accounts that are created by things like internet research agency out of Russia, you know, or some actors acting on behalf of North Korea. Um, there's a lot of things like that going on that no one ever knows or talks about or sees, and it's probably good. Um, and, and I can see him getting that and saying, I don't want to touch this. I can actually understand that because I was part of that. I saw things that made me want to leave the building. Um, so, yeah. so, so I, I think that, that if you know, and he, if he's listening to this, I just may have given him a, you know another out. Hopefully not. But uh, <laughs> he's like, yes, I saw you know ISIS recruiting people on Twitter. Oh, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, but things like this happen, right? And you have to know yeah. this going in. And, and this is why I, I, I said, you know, running, you know, running Twitter is not rocket science. It's harder. And and I just don't think that he he fundamentally understood that. And what he has learned. I'm positive what he's learned has really shook his faith in his ability to do anything with the platform. He's had a crash course really in, in the, um, the difficulties in running Twitter. I remember immediately after he agreed to the deal, some folks who were like, 
um, doing messaging on behalf of the Chinese government were like immediately like remove my label, Elon. And now, of course, he has to do it because Tesla does big business in China. But then yeah. do you, you want to run a, a service with that stuff, you know, being unlabeled? Maybe. Um, but it's more complicated when it's international influence versus national. Yeah, I think, Leslie, you hit something that I think is a big part here, which is there's a really good chance that Elon was sort of moving quickly and very soon after realized this is not a headache that I want. This is a $45 billion headache that needs to go away fast. And it's really easy. I mean, we've all been part of conversations and have listened to conversations about content moderation. And it's very easy to say how you do it from the outside. But once you start to look at it and unpack it and see how the sausage is made and try to figure out where to draw the lines, I'm not sure that's something that he was really all that interested in doing. I mean, again, I have no direct correlation with him or conversation to know that, but, you know, he likes to sort of sit at the top? Does he really want to get in the weeds and be the everyday CEO who's looking at content and deciding yes or no? I, I don't well, think I, so. I think you can look You can look at what he said about free speech. He, he clearly had no idea. Like He has no idea what's actually legal in the United States. And he has no idea that if you follow the law in India, there are tens of thousands of accounts that would come off the service that day. Like he just, it was very clear he had no sense of what saying, we'll just follow the law in countries, what that actually meant. Folks who've worked at Twitter, I just want to ask you this. What is it like having uh, everyone infer different motives uh, in, in your actions depending on their political beliefs? So here's two responses to, to um, you know something I said today. Uh, one person said, um, the only ones who want this sale to close are liberal activists that use Twitter for propaganda. Twitter lied, which will come out in court. Um, and then someone else wrote, actually, all the anti-Musk forces want this deal to close. And that includes all the Twitter employees that will take the money and leave the pompous ass holding the bag. Um, and, you know, and then of course there are people who are like, Elon should be able to get out. So what is it like? I mean, basically like everything you do is always read in a political lens. I think you come to accept it. I mean, it's, it's funny in arguably the proof that Twitter is doing its job well is if you look at all of the polling internally and externally on who thinks Twitter's biased against them. The extreme left and the extreme right believe that Twitter's biased against them in almost the exact right. same numbers. Which is amazing because they contribute to most of the conversation. And actually, yeah. Jonathan Haidt's going to be on next week. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but it is pretty wild. I, I used to get I used to get DMs from very progressive individuals and very extreme MAGA. I guess they're now ultra MAGA for individuals. And they would the language was almost precisely the same. Yeah, um, and so in, in some ways, you could argue that actually shows that Twitter is being unbiased in the way they're applying their rules. Right. Okay, we're running out of time. Um, I have one more question for you, Brandon. Then I want to go around around the horn here and see how it ends. Um, what story, Brandon? You were involved, obviously, running communications at Twitter. What story should the company tell right now? I, I think the company needs to provide insight into where it is the business going. Like, what what is what is the product going to focus on? What are they doubling down on? I, I, like I said, I think they need, I, they did a great job in 2020 and their analysts say explaining, here's the next five years of Twitter. I think people bought into it. That's when the stock went up to the highest bet forever. They need to revitalize that, not to drive the share price up, but just to give people a sense that this is a continuing 
proposition here, regardless of whether or not the Elon deal happens. Right. Um, and okay. I, I think doing that works externally, but I think it's going to be critical internally to give employees something to rally around. Right. It doesn't seem like there's any direction inside right now, at least from what the reports that I read and the people I speak with. Okay. Um, let's go quickly around the horn. What's the outcome uh, that we can uh, not, not hope, but expect to see. I'm going to start with the folks who've worked at Twitter because you've heard, you know, what, where Alex thinks this is going, having heard that. Where do you think it's going? All right, Jenna, you go first. I think they're going to settle, and I think they're going to settle somewhere in the one to 10 billion range. Leslie? I think they're going to settle. Um, probably, yeah. Probably like I'll like up it. It's probably going to be a little more like the three to seven range. Um, okay. And and probably some sanctioning of Elon Musk as well. Um, they're gonna they're 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 not going to let that one go. They're gonna be like, and you can't own and buy our stock for the next thirty years. <laughs> I mean, just like something right. because it's just this has been so disruptive. This is the true Baker Mayfield and the Brown situation. You're out <laughs> and you're not playing quarterback for us, even though Deshaun's suspended for a year. As a Browns fan, yes. that really hurts. For Sorry, that well, Brandon, I'll, I'll let you go. Congratulations on Jacoby Brissett for the next year. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Thanks. <laughs> um, I, look, they're they're going to settle, but I think the wild card is, you know, is any is Elon actually going to adhere to any settlement? Right. I mean, I, he's shown no willingness to actually believe that rules apply to him. So even if he says sure. I'll pay you $10 billion or I'll buy it at 39 a share. Is he actually going to follow through with it? I, d- I just don't know that this actually closes and this doesn't drag on for, for years more. Right. Alex, um, are you still confident that um, the Twitter has a good case on, on, on Elon? And let's actually throw Brandon's idea to you. Do you think we're going to see Elon like sitting in, what is it? Matt Levine called it chancery court jail um, at some point. <laughs> uh yeah I, so i mean like i have no idea how this is gonna end but 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 i'll yeah. give you a half answer which is Crazy. i think we're going to court i don't think this is going to settle anytime soon uh i think it may settle but i think right. we will go to court first the sides will kind of gauge where they're at there will be some discovery and then we'll settle that that, that or, or if we don't do that there, there will be some outcome at that point you know so that that's my prediction, which is my prediction is we do not have a resolution. Okay. Despite what Ev Williams. Wants. Yeah. Something tells me Ev is again gonna not get what he wants, but um, you never know. I want to I want to throw one thing out there. Okay. Because I, I this is this is me just not being able to sleep one night. I mean, what if <laughs> this is just a way for Jack to come in and take the company private? Ooh. Well, <laughs> gonna throw it out there. Stranger threw it out there at that last minute, and now I'm like, whoa. Dang. And join us next time on Big Technology Podcast. No, I'm kidding. At what price, right? That would be the question. At what yes. price? Are you going to buy it for fifty four twenty a share? I suppose they've been, been lovely. I mean, Jack has been awfully quiet on Twitter. He has. Could he line up the money from some money from Elon, some of his own wealth, and some private financing, and then take it over? I don't think it's impossible. But would anybody want to work for him after that? I mean, could you imagine? He's back. And by the way, the last two years of hell that you endured are come courtesy of the guy who's returned. Also, he trashed all of the board members for the past several years. (laughs) Well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I don't know what his his real win in that is. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, like he's been there, done that multiple times. Does he really need to go through this circus in order to come back? I'm not sure. 
wouldn't he then again, right, um, there would be an activist in Square then at that point? Because Elliot had this whole campaign about how he couldn't run two companies, but he right. might be running yeah. two companies again. Yeah. Well, look, one of the things that I've learned about the Twitter story uh, is never rule anything out. <laughs> you can't right. rule anything out <laughs> because just when you think, okay, the man has signed a paper and we'll obviously do this deal, you end up in this situation and uh, fun ensues. So that will do it for us here on the podcast. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Brandon. And thank you, Jenna. What a fun time. This was great. First time we've ever done anything like this. Big thanks to Nate Guatney for uh, finding a way to, to master all this audio. Appreciate you, Nate, especially in this emergency situation. This was really a lot of fun, cool experiment, getting so many voices in. And I definitely am walking away more knowledgeable about the whole situation and what might happen next. So thank you to our guests. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you to LinkedIn for having me as part of your podcast network. We'll be back next week with Jonathan Height, who is a professor at the Stern School of Business at NYU. He's um, written a new story called about, uh, let's see, what is he proposed this title? Why the past 10 years of American life has been uniquely stupid and he blames social media. So if you like this one, stick around for our conversation next week. All right, that will do it for us here and we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast.